Okay. Do something a little bit different here. Find a Bible. Um, if you're in the front row, this is going to be a little tricky. Well, you've got one on your, okay, you're, you're set and ready to go. Um, we're going to open to, first we're going to open to the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Oh, if you're looking for that, just open your Bible to the flat out middle and then turn right. It'll be the next book you get to. Page 664 in your pew Bible. Thank you very much. All right. Proverbs chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1. Um, all right. You ready? A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. All right. How you doing? Everybody doing all right? It doesn't bother you at all? Kind of gets to me a little. Are you better? Are you better at the harsh words or are you better at the gentle answer? The harsh words, okay. Uh, where's Pebby? There she is. Uh, gentle answer. You're, that's your default, right? No? I would have guessed otherwise. That's where I was kind of going with that. All right. Okay. But when you get there, look out, right? Okay. All right. Um, so some of us have different dispositions when it comes to harsh words or gentle answers, right? And because this verse is in the Bible, right, it would be very easy for make you, to make you feel like, let's be polite, to make you feel like poo-poo, okay, by pointing out how quickly you are willing to throw out harsh words, Okay? And if I were to preach an entire sermon on this passage and show you the, the greatness of soft answers and, and how well they serve the purpose of God, um, and if I were to, in that same sermon, show to you examples of, of how harsh words stir up anger and, and cause destruction in relationships, you might leave that sermon saying something to me after church like, I was so convicted, thank you, for you just got to me. I mean, that was like really what I needed to hear, that I need to be more gentle, right? And some of you are lifelong churchgoers, and, and you have left church feeling that way before, 
Um, here's the problem. If I preached that sermon and the crux was that you need to give more soft answers and you need to give less harsh answers, right? That's how you're to be a better Christian. Well, I could actually go to a synagogue and teach that same lesson. Nobody would be bothered by it. I could go to a mosque and teach that same lesson and nobody would be bothered by it. I I could go to a Mormon church and teach that same lesson, and nobody would be bothered by it. And so while the lesson might be moral, and it might be biblical, it would not have been Christian. Does that make sense? A Christian message takes us to the cross of Jesus Christ. It takes us to the person and finished work of Christ. So even if I was preaching on Proverbs 15, chapter 1, in which context it is fair to tell you that soft answers are better than harsh answers, right? It's fair to say that. That's morally true. It's right here. I can prove it in the Bible. My job as a Christian pastor, as a minister of the gospel, which is what my ordination vows claim, um, is to lead you from here to the cross. To, To take that sense of conviction that might come from the word of God when we read it, and we, and we really take it in and realize I'm not so good with the gentle answer, the soft answer. I'm much quicker with the harsh word. Um, to take us from that point to the forgiveness that we have in Christ, to the, to the truth that the ultimate wisdom in, that is in front of us is Christ himself. It's not the pithy Proverbs 15, verse 1, that is the point. It's it's the Christ that Proverbs 15, verse 1, points to that we need. And so I want this morning to kind of take you into a very complex passage in the Gospel of John. And I want to sort of lead all of us into an understanding of what it means to present God's word in a Christian way. In a way that if we preached the same message in a synagogue, someone would be offended. And if we preached that same message in a mosque, someone would be offended. Or if we preached that same message in a Mormon temple or church or whatever you call it, stake, uh, someone would be offended because we have gotten to the singular truth of what it means to believe in the person of Jesus Christ and his saving work as he is presented in Scripture. All right. From the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, I'm going to be reading from a translation called the ESV, which is what we we normally use 
Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. The Bibles that you, you picked up a minute ago are in the NIV, so don't be confused. There'll be a few different words. It's no big deal. It's all God's Word. It'll work. Um, we're going to turn to the Gospel of John. That's the fourth book in your New Testament. And we're going to start in chapter 5 in verse 18. So John 5, 18, I'll be reading all the way through uh, verse 47, which is the end of the chapter. Just to give you a little bit of context, Jesus has started teaching publicly. And people are starting to realize this guy is different. And the things that he is saying are fairly substantial in what he's claiming to be true about himself. And what he is saying is starting to offend people. Are we clear? All right, so his message is is beginning to emerge as uniquely Christian because it's about Jesus. All right, so that's where we're going to pick up uh, in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Excuse me, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, 
and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? Whoa. So, people were upset because Jesus seemed to be implying equality with the Father. And in this lead up to this passage, Jesus had just healed someone and essentially told them, I can't remember if he said your sin, you know, I think he's, this is the one where he says, uh, um, go and sin no more, I think. And, uh, <clears throat> but the implication that Jesus is leaving with people all around him is simply this, that he is equal to God. And so his actions, his works that he refers to doing in this passage were leaving people with the vague idea, at least, that he was claiming to be equal with God. And so when this sort of, when this pot starts to boil over, um, Jesus turns up the heat and says, watch this. Uh, you think I was implying equality with God? Let me be really clear. Let's, let's leave the realm of implication through action and let's just put it on the table in really clear terms. I, he does this is not where he says this, but I and the Father are one. All right? He is removing all doubt about who he is and what he is claiming in his ministry in Israel at the time. As he does this, he leaves us with a very profound truth. Um, 
that truth is simply this. It's all about the Christ. It's all about the Messiah. All of Jewish history leading up to this point culminates in the coming of Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word for Messiah. Okay? And so it all comes to a focal point in Christ, in the promised one. He's here, and he is more than anybody had ever thought or imagined he would be. He's not just a prophet. He's God himself. And he is, in essence, clearing any doubt from anyone's mind right here. This is the, the point of clarification that, that, that Jesus brings into his early ministry. So, as he makes this point, if you will, that he is the focal point of all of redemptive history, um, he is, in, a, in, in essence, saying that all of this Bible, and at the time that would have been what we call the Old Testament, all of this points to the coming of the Christ. That's the point. And so you heard the point we made with the kids that you know, even Moses, when he gave us the law, was really preparing us for the cross. He was, he was giving us the do's and the don'ts so that our hearts would run up against the, the reality of who we are that we're broken and we're sinful and we're fallen and we're in need of grace and forgiveness and healing and wholeness. And so all of it points to him. I'm going to put it this way. Jesus is telling us that we're to search the word to find life. And you hear him play with this idea in, in the later part of this passage, like, you think that you're reading Moses, that you're reading the Bible, and that you're going to find life through reading the Bible. But his implication is you've turned it into a set of moral mechanics, and you've missed the whole point. We'll get there in a minute. Okay, so we are to search the word to find life, not law, but life. We're, we're to open this and search it and find life. When we do this, when we open God's word in our lives, we engage his will. Jesus alludes to this, that we, we see God at work in the world and in our lives, and we read his word and you can see where it, it sinks with who God is and how he works and how he speaks to us in the circumstances of life. Um, so we're called to engage God's will through his word and seeing how he is at work in our lives. We're to find the Father at work in our lives. And the work of God always leads to the Son. The work of the Father, of God's will in our lives, always leads us to the Son. We're to find 
the Father at work in our lives, and we're to find life through the Son. God's Word is more than a record. It's more than a book. It's actually alive. And when we engage it, we are in sort of opening our, our souls to the movement of the Holy Spirit within us, to speak to us, to change us, to grow us. When we open God's word and we're paying attention to what's going on in our lives, we see his hand moving. We, find our, we may find ourselves convicted of a sin, realizing that I'm, I'm uh, too quick to issue forth harsh words and more in need of being he who gives a gentle answer, right? I might become convicted of that truth. However, all of this should stir me toward the cross, toward the person of Christ, through finding life through the Son. We're to engage God's will through his word, and we're to believe God's word Jesus talks about the fact that we honor the Father through the Son, through recognizing who Jesus is, through believing in what Jesus has done for us, particularly on the cross. Um, And Jesus reminds us that this this stuff of, of faith engaged through the Word of God is a matter of spiritual life and death. That the, the work of God is that which takes us from the place of being spiritually dead to the place of being spiritually alive. He literally resurrects each one of our souls through the, the saving work of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what is actually happening. And let me try to be clear. I don't need that resurrection of my soul just one time in my life. I need it every day. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I need the love of God and the presence of his Holy Spirit to minister to my aching soul every day. And I need to go back through his word to that truth over and over and over again. And guess what? So do you. We all need this, uh, what do they say uh, when I would complain to my math teacher about the homework assignment? Repetition aids learning. Right? We need this. Um, We need to be steeped in the grace of God. That's what it's all about. And so wherever you are, whether it's, um, you know, you're listening to a Christian teacher on the radio as you drive to and from someplace, uh, whether you're at an FCA meeting at your school or in a Bible study or anywhere, when you hear the word of God cracked open before you, don't stop at the do's and don'ts. 
this is not a moral recipe book on how to be a better person. It's not. Our prayer, our collective prayer is, is, dear God, please make us into better people by all means. I would love to be a better person. But at the end of the day, this is not a self-help book. <laughs> if it's anything, it's, it's the polar opposite of a self-help book. It's a you-are-hopeless book. And if you want to get better, you need to drop the self-help myth and just fall to your knees before the cross and say, I, I need your grace. I need your love. I need your forgiveness every moment of every day. I, I don't live like that. Don't get me wrong, okay? I should, but I don't. Um, but we are to search the word until we find life. So if you hear a lesson, a Bible lesson, and it doesn't bring you to the point of life through the cross of Jesus Christ, you haven't heard a Christian message. It might have been biblical, might have been true, might have been helpful to some extent or another. But it wasn't Christian if it didn't take you to the cross of Christ. All right. So we're to search the word to find life, and we're to search the word to find Jesus. And yes, I realize this is redundant. Like I said, repetition aids learning. All right? This is the point that Jesus is making, that we need him. We need to find him if we're going to find anything of value in this life. And he says, just follow the signs. Um, he alludes to John the Baptist. There's, so there's two Johns here, if you're wondering what's going on. There's John, the author of the Gospel of John. And in this passage, he's referring to a guy named John the Baptist, who was a class A weirdo. Okay? He, he hung out in the wilderness. He wore uh, camel hair clothing with no underwear. Okay? Ew. Right? He ate locusts he ate bugs this dude had bug legs between his teeth all right and for a while jesus alludes to this in this passage for a while israel was ecstatic that harry freak man was outside of jerusalem preaching the baptism of repentance it was called that we need to we need to repent we need to come to the end of ourselves and turn around that's what repent means just means turn around and, and uh, as your brother so famously said, you know, I have repented so much, I've turned my life around 360 degrees. Yeah, that's a Charles quote, in case you were wondering. Um, so, John the Baptist had come to be God's voice to Israel. Why were people so excited about John the Baptist? Well, it had been a good, solid 400 and several decades more of years since there was a prophet speaking the voice of God into the lives of the people of Israel. They'd been through a drought. This was like a good, solid rain at the end of a bad drought. They didn't care what John was saying. 
uh, repent, fine, great, there's a prophet. God still cares. We thought he left. We thought God had given up on us. We thought that we were done. And John shows up, and the people are ecstatic. And Jesus references this in verses 30 through 35. But he also tells us that John wasn't just there to get people excited. He was there to point to someone greater than himself. As every prophet of the Old Testament was there to do, to point forward to something greater than himself. And so we're to follow the signs. John's witness points the way to Christ. Jesus' work points the way to the cross. He had just healed someone. Um, This was no small thing. And most people in need of healing at that time, um, let's just say, made it obvious. They were public spectacles. Uh, They were waiting for God to heal them for many decades sometimes. And Jesus walks up, boom, heals the man and walks away. And I think this is the one that Jesus like heals him and disappears. And they ask the guy, you know, is, I think this is when he picks up his, he picks up this mat. He was an invalid and he, he goes to walk off with the mat and the Jews get upset because he's working on the Sabbath. Carrying your mat would be a violation of the Sabbath commandments. <laughs> and it's like, dude, seriously, this guy's been an invalid his whole life for several decades, the text says, and you're upset because he's carrying his mat? Are you crazy? This is a miracle. You've missed the point. You've completely missed the point. So the Jews were upset because this guy was breaking the Sabbath, and they said, well, who told you to pick up your mat? He's like, well, that's that guy over there. So now they're mad at Jesus for commanding someone to break the Sabbath. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't pick up your mat and carry it on the Sabbath. There was something in the Jewish rule book intended to protect people from breaking the command to honor, the, to keep the Sabbath. All right, so there were extra rules that were added, but there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't pick up your mat after you're healed of all things and rejoice on the Sabbath, right? Um, what Jesus is doing in healing this man is he's saying, hey, I'm God. I bring the presence of God right here to earth. I bring it to where it touches lives. It changes people for eternity. I bring the power of God with me into this world. And look, here's proof. My works are pointing to a truth that is greater than the healing of this man. It's the truth that the Messiah has come, that true healing has arrived for the world. So John's witness points the way, Jesus' works point the, points the, point the way, and God's word points the way. Jesus tells us, as he rebukes those who are rebuking him, um, 
you know, you've never heard the voice of God, you've never seen the form of God, uh, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. God's word points the way to faith, belief, that through which we access what Christ brings to our lives, his, his healing, his mercy, his grace, is all attained through the conduit of faith. So this is a spiritual truth that we experience only uh, through engaging God's word spiritually. This is not an exercise of the mind, and it's not an exercise of the will. How, how well-behaved can I make myself? How informed can I make myself? This is an act of the heart. And God's word is pointing directly towards that part of us over which we have no control. And it says, come to life. I'm breathing life into your soul that you might wake up and live. This is spiritual CPR is what it is. And God's word points the way to life through Christ by faith. We're to search the word to find Jesus. We're to follow the signs. And we're to make our study of the scriptures Christian. Christian. That is that we always let the Bible lead us to the Christ, to the cross, to the resurrection, to the person about whom it all came into existence for in the first place. So Jesus tells us something very obvious and yet very, very important in this passage. One can study the Bible and completely miss the point. One can devote and dedicate their entire life to the study of Scripture and completely miss the point. The people to whom Jesus was speaking had dedicated their lives to the right understanding of God's Word. And the living Word of God was standing right in front of them and they couldn't even see Him. They couldn't recognize who He was. And He's screaming, Hey, it's me. Hello, McFly. Anybody home? He's right there. This, the irony is just overwhelming. They've studied the word their whole lives and they missed the one standing right physically in front of them to whom it was all pointing all along. And Jesus says, it's about me. All scripture points to Christ. So, when, when you are asked to teach a Bible study, when you're participating in a Bible study, when you are listening to someone parse out the Word of God anywhere, at any time, ask yourself this question. Is this Christian? Does it take me to the cross, to the unique 
grace that is mine in Christ. That is the point. And whether I like it or I don't like it, that is the truth back to which I need to return over and over again. So here it is. God promised that he would send his Messiah. And he gave sign after sign after sign that he was coming. And then he came. And everything he said and everything he did was consistent with his mission to bring to us healing and grace that would last forever. It is all about Jesus. And if, if, if it's Bible study and it's not about Jesus, it could be Bible study, but it's not Christian. So come back with me time and time again to the cross where we find grace and healing eternal. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you that you do convict us of our sin, but that you don't stop there. You point us through your word to the cross where our sin is taken from us onto the promised Messiah. And in its place, you grant to us his righteousness, his grace, his forgiveness, his peace. And through his resurrection, you set before us the hope that lasts forever, that we might live in your presence, in your grace for eternity through what your son has done for us on the cross. Lord, open our souls and give us the faith to see and believe what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. And may every passage of your word point us back time and time again to our need for your grace through your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.